Hello and welcome to this 20th episode, I think, of I'm Thinking of Watching Things. Number 20, maybe, or 19. Arjun, do we know? Oh shit, we were just texting about this. Yeah, I forget. I think it's one above whatever you said last time. Well, so. but there is discrepancy because is the Sofia <laughs> Coppola episode one episode or is it two parts of, you know, one episode? Is it two episodes, you know, or the parts? I don't remember. I think that's I think- your discretion. In the director's mind, yeah, <laughs> taken as a whole. Well, because in the YouTube videos, I was numbering them, and then I decided to take out the numbering because, like, who wants to watch a numbered YouTube video? And I just, I don't know, I'm overthinking it. Anyways, today we're talking about Malcolm and Marie. We have a wonderful guest on, Nadia Cooper. But before we, uh, before we hit upon Malcolm and Marie, we are going to do some introductions because we've forgotten to do that. By that, I mean, I've forgotten to do that in the last couple of weeks. Um, So the introductory question is going to be, what's your favorite bottle movie, a.k.a. a movie that only takes place in one location? Um, We're going to start with Alicia. Alicia, I'm curious to see how much you stuck to the prompt, because I wanted to say The Shining, but obviously that there's, you know, it takes place outside of The Shining for the beginning. And I don't. I didn't, I didn't give any specific directions, so I want to see where you take this. See, I was wondering if the thing counts or mm, not. Yeah. I mean, there can, like, yes, one general location. But I think if I'm going to be, like, strict, I have to go with either Rear Window or mm-hmm. 12 Angry Men. Um, and I think I'll go with Rear Window just because, I mean, I lo- I think both of those movies are perfect, but Rear Window offers like, it's the kind of thing that you can rewatch in like almost any mood and it strikes such a like brilliant Hitchcocky tone of like uh, intensity, but also very charming humor. So yeah, nice. I'll go with that. Great movie. Arjun, what do you got? Yeah, my name is Arjun Fisher, and you know I'm gonna pick this. I don't. I'm not 100% sure that this actually qualifies as a bottle movie because it's been about 10 years since I've seen it. I watched it in middle school. Incidentally, after reading the entire Wikipedia plot, just I thought it was really interesting, and then ended up throwing it on. Uh, it's the Joel Schumacher film Phone Booth about Colin Farrell who uh, picks up a phone in a phone booth, and somebody on the other line tells him that uh, if he leaves and hangs up the phone, he's gonna be shot, and a little rifle. The laser thing gets pointed at him. I, I don't even remember how the movie ends. I just like uh, remember really loving it as a 12 or 13 year old middle schooler. And uh, I was going to say Rear Window. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> I like the Schumacher representation. I Rest am a Schumacher apologist to, to the death. Right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, he's he makes some bangers. Nice. Brooke, what do you got? Hi. I'm Brooke. Um, let's see. Well, I googled bottle movies, um, and then out of the 42 that I found on there, I had maybe seen two, which one was Rear Window, and the other was Panic Room. So I'm going to give it to Panic Room. I've talked about it on the pod before for the David Fincher uh, episode or whatever. And um, yeah, great. Jodie Foster, Kristen Stewart, like I said, thought they were cast well, just like both anxious lesbian vibes. (laughs) So we got to love it. 
I think if Panic Room comes up on the pod organically one more time, we have to do a Panic Room episode. Okay, yeah. I think that's I'm how down the rules for it. Go. Um, Nadia, were you also going to say Rear Window? Okay, so I wasn't, but it definitely was on my mind. Like, that was the first thing I thought of. But then when I gave it, like, a little bit more thought, I don't know if this, I feel like this should count because, like, the it's more of a wider space but it's still bottled uh i was gonna say 10 cloverfield lane kind mm. of uh it really takes place like on that farm but more specifically in that house uh because it doesn't feel like a bottle movie necessarily the scenes really feel like broken up whereas i don't know i feel like we'll talk about this one but it really <laughs> feel like a movie. <laughs> nice um my name's Caleb. I think I'm going to go. I was also going to go with the rear window. Um, Alicia, you just came out swinging with it. Uh, so I'm, I did have a backup, though, which is Richard Linklater's Tape, um, which is a movie that takes place in a motel room with like high school friends coming together and they solve some unresolved uh, drama, I guess you could call it. Um, crimes is another way you could call it uh, from their high school. And it's Ethan Hawke, it's Uma Thurman, and it's some other third guy that I, I don't know. I can't remember his name. I don't I don't think he's significant. Um, I don't I don't remember. Um, but yeah, tape. It's a real interesting. It's, it's also shot on like a digital sort of like camcorder, uh, super super low budget. Um, Richard Linklater, great experimenter. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm gonna go. Um, that just made me think of something that I wish had been my answer, which is coherence. Um, for some uh, reason, it slipped my mind, but the low budge feel coherence rules. Coherence is a lot of fun. Uh, I, I that Parts of coherence like really chilled me, and I feel like I don't get those chills. Like It's not a horror movie, uh, really, but it got me in a horror way more than most horror movies get me. So yeah yeah big coherence fan if it comes up twice more we gotta do a pod on it um guys let's let's hop into malcolm and marie um i actually wrote a little intro uh to get us into the discussion because the, for whatever reason this movie has really really sparked like a a like fight or flight uh, response for whatever reason <laughs> there are a few reasons <laughs> it's, but but the thing is is that i'm i'm fighting unambiguously for the film which um i'm unambiguously unambiguously (laughs) pro um and i i wrote like my initial letterboxd review i was like i'm talking about this on the pod so i don't want to talk a lot about it here i'll just say a few things and then it ended up being like maybe like a five paragraph long essay about some thoughts about the discourse that was a very emotionally fueled like analysis We'll wait uh, and wade into it later in this pod, but I did write a little intro, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it um, now. Almost a year ago at this point, the film industry shut down production and everything we were excited about as fans of movies was thrown into chaos. In July, we caught wind of Euphoria creator Sam Levinson, Euphoria stars Zendaya, and though we wouldn't know it at the time, Tenet sensation, John David Washington coming together to shoot a movie in quarantine. I don't know about you guys, but I was psyched, especially when I read that it was to be a real production that had nothing to do with COVID-19. Well, now we have Malcolm and Marie, a hyper-stylized bottle film about a filmmaker, go figure, who argues with his girlfriend about their relationship, his film, 
their relationship as portrayed in his film, film criticism, race, black art, and how black art is perceived and more. And there hasn't been a more universally critically reviled film in the last few years that I can think of. Detractors of the film have cited its pettiness, racial stickiness, self-centered writing, on-the-nose needle drops, overstylization, uneven pacing, overwrought concept, pretentiousness, unrealistic toxicity, and more as evidence of a lackluster and poorly conceived film. I haven't seen much in way of defense of Malcolm and Marie, at least from major critics, so I guess it falls to me. <laughs> <laughs> I may have many problems with the film, um, and many that I just listed, actually, but I also think that it's really well shot on real film, no less, contains some excellent performances and character work from the two leads, despite some pretty clunky writing, has a song from Little Sims, Duke Ellington, and John Coltrane, and Outcast, which is just a great spread of my interests, explores some fascinating topics, including art and ownership, identity politics, the specific pain that can only come from a loved one's mouth, and more. Above all, it's distinct. To quote Malcolm, the film is reckless, and despite the many flaws we're probably going to discuss, I'm simply glad it exists and is reaching mainstream audiences. I did see that it peaked at number one on Netflix. I don't think I've been this excited to talk about a new movie since our inaugural and titular podcast episode on I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And I'm confident that if even if you all hated the film, we're going to have a good ass discussion. And that's what it's all about. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the discourse. What did you guys think of Malcolm and Marie? Malcolm and Marie. Well, I think I think first just to respond, like I think it's pretty far from the most critically reviled movie recently. Like it's got like 60 per, it's got 60% on Rotten Tomatoes or something I, like that. Like I guess critically reviled in that. Hmm. I, 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 that's a good point. I need to rethink about that phrase, but. It's well, it is the, unique in the fact that it's, it's critically reviled as a like attack on critics. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like the thing that came to mind in terms of its reception most was Birdman. And I think the mm. sort of response was very similar in a lot of ways. And I don't know. Two films I'm both pretty lukewarm on, but I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts. <laughs> well, let me let me ask this. Did anybody like Malcolm and Marie? Was anybody positive on Malcolm and Marie? Even if it only in parts? Yeah, definitely parts. <laughs> yeah, I texted this in the group chat, but my, my overall summary is that uh, I, yeah, the, the writing bad honestly I thought the acting also bad and Whoa. I need to talk about like I need to discuss Zendaya as like a, a pop culture icon because I'm just I'm con yeah I know controversial but I'm just confused at some parts so I thought writing kind of bad acting kind of bad shot of mac and cheese making beautiful would watch again <laughs> just for that I was like this is gorgeous that was like the thing that stuck with me the most um, and then like black and white mac and cheese, oh, just beautiful. And then there were some lines I really liked. There was some discussion I liked and I was like, it's just a film that's so filmy and so about mm -hmm. film that I was like, I know too many professors that would fucking love to assign this just to like mm -hmm. get to talk about it. And that was like kind of a turnoff for me. But I was texting and I, I said that I thought the last 20 minutes are where it turned around a little bit for me. And I really enjoyed the discussion that happened 
within those last 20 minutes. And that definitely like bumped it up a few points for me. So overall neutral, some bad, bad parts, but some good parts. There was some dialogue that I like, I think my favorite line was like, we're going to get like divorced and married a couple times. So we might as well start now. That was my favorite <laughs> line. But yeah, those are my general thoughts. I, I personally, think... I was going to say in terms of lines, I personally really like the Dolly fucking idiot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think I fell on a, in a similar uh, place on the spectrum as Brooke. Um, so yeah, like funnily enough, just when I was getting really annoyed after, like a little after the one hour mark, I started to like this movie and, and I snapped you guys about it. I started to like this movie more, um, starting especially when Marie asked Malcolm a question about something that she feels very hurt about that becomes kind of the crux of like a lot of their arguments. Um, but for the first like two thirds or three quarters of the movie, I was not into it. Uh, like granted from the trailer, I expected it to be much more kind of unbearably cringy. And I actually found that that wasn't so much the case. I disliked it, but I didn't think it was unwatchable because both Zendaya and J- John D- uh, JDW uh, were very good. <laughs> and some of the arguments and monologues that they touch on have interesting stuff but like number one a lot of it felt like it should have just been like an op-ed or a piece on medium (laughs) instead of jammed into a movie script number two it's fully aware of and deliberate about malcolm's pompousness and yet it still just feels like levinson going in a completely sincere diatribe and thinking he's making it okay by funneling it through a pretentious character um and a black one (laughs) and then I'm like is it even fair for me to hold this against the movie though just because I find it annoying but then I'm like oh yeah it is fair because number three which is last but the opposite of least um hearing all this from a white guy's screenplay feels gross yeah wait on on that (laughs) point that you said about the op-ed real quick I think that's like another good summary of my feelings towards it is like this is something that I like would have written in high school (laughs) you know when you were assigned like you're in your social like justice history (laughs) class or whatever in high school and like social studies and they're like we have to talk about this court case like I need you to write a script about it this is what it would fucking be because it was like paragraphs of an op-ed just placed onto them so like god help them for literally having to say like minute long like monologues but yeah I don't want to like see something that I would have like made in high school or middle school like uh right and Alicia to your point like just from reading about Sam Levinson in interviews and his process it seems like the third act was the most collaborative shall we say and he came to the set not having written not having (laughs) written the third act like he wrote the first two acts beforehand apparently and then came and they kind of just fleshed out the third act together so that might be part of why I think that worked a little bit more, even though, I don't know. <laughs> well, let's, um, before we hop into the mouthpiece argument and the, the like strange racial politics about it, uh, Nadia, what did, what did you think about the film? I feel like uh, kind of similar to what Brooke and Alicia were saying about, like I have positives for sure. I like that it was shot on film. I thought that was interesting. I think that the lighting was done really well, even though it's black and white, because I feel like a lot of times with more modern stuff, if it's black and white and shot on film, half the time, I just can't see anything, especially when it takes place at night. 
So I, I thought that it was done really well visually. Um, the mac and cheese scene, I agree, it was beautifully done. <laughs> but I will say, I could tell that this film was written by a white man because in no way would she be making craft mac and cheese. <laughs> like I've never met a black person who just makes craft mac and cheese for dinner in a bowl. Like that's it. But um, I definitely have a lot of qualms with it as well. Like I feel like it has potential to be something better, but this definitely feels like a first draft that needs like mm. way too many rewrites to just be something already. Like it seemed like he had all these great moments that he wanted to do and then he just strung them all together and didn't really separate them in any way so like the lines that were really great and the arguments that were really great he just rehashed them over and over again mm -hmm. so like mm -hmm. i get that it's supposed to be a bit repetitive because it's like something that both of the characters are thinking about throughout the night but i think what harms it even more is the fact that it is a bottle movie and it takes place in one night because it's exhausting to watch yeah i i think if anything like if i had to change one thing that i think would make the entire film so much better is the time because it just it felt like it would be so much more like impactful if it was like our max like it felt like he was trying to get to something but yeah i understand what you're saying about maybe he was trying to have us feel that like exhaustive because I, I definitely like have arguments like that with people where I'm like I'm gonna come at you then I'm gonna take a little break we're gonna have a little mac and cheese and then we're gonna fight again later so I don't know but god I just wanted it to be like half the amount of time that it was interesting I could double the time and no. enjoy it I three hours of this Caleb uh, I would watch hours? a whole ass mini series of these two oh characters my god. uh I house. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, I don't know. I keep thinking about your point that you made at the beginning, Caleb, about this being the most interested you are in talking about a movie since our initial titular. I'm thinking of uh, ending things. Yeah, I was reminded so much of that movie while watching this movie. Weirdly enough, I think thematically they're attacking where it's like Kaufman more under a postmodernism lens and this very like modernist like trying to meld high and low art in some kind of bizarre way that I'm not sure it really hits the mark it's just I just bored the hell out of me I, I think that the writing which was your prediction that I hmm. would be the thing I disliked the most I actually didn't have too much of a problem with it kind of okay. reminded me of Sorkin I, I felt a lot like I was watching Trial of the Chicago 7 it's so punchy and snappy and like John David Washington and Zendaya Zendaya have such like a cadence to saying the words like it just like kind of flows through but at the same time you stop and like listen to what they're saying like I don't need John David Washington going on like a diatribe about identity politics for like 15 minutes. And, you know, I, I definitely felt in the same way that something almost like Joker did, where a lot of this dialogue feels very set up almost in the script to reject the criticism that they feel like is going to eventually come for it. Mm -hmm. And that just makes me so uncomfortable. Like so many of the points that the movie is trying to make by satirizing this Malcolm character, I think kind of fall apart at the hands of the script itself, which is where I started to like it a lot less. I don't know. Yeah, well, you can't like do something that you know is not okay and spend the entire time of the thing that you're making defending what you're making. It just like, I think all of this kind of comes down to like bad ethics versus bad art. And I think I know where I stand on the ethics, but I'm not yeah. completely sure where I stand on the art. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about the the ethics and the the what the main criticism I think that is that this movie is getting is that a lot of a it's 
the film takes shots at critics and critics don't like that. B, they think that uh, it's just simply a platform for Sam Levinson to air his grievances and that sort of Zendaya and uh, John David Washington are his uh, mouthpieces um, that he specifically uses, which gets into sticky territory because they are uh, black characters and he is a, a white man writing them. I think that that's where the a lot of the crux of the criticism grows from. And I want to like interrogate that um, because the, something about the whole mouthpiece argument doesn't sit well with me because it's it says pretty clearly written and directed by Sam Levinson. I, he's not hiding his opinions. Nobody thinks that like, I don't know, that, that, whole, that, that whole criticism just doesn't work for me because Zendaya and John David Washington helped produce the movie and they've been on a press tour talking about how collaborative of an experience it was. I listened just earlier, John David Washington uh, saying that he, like to Sam Levinson's face, like, yeah, I had to correct you on a lot of cultural issues like regarding <laughs> like my black character. And, and Sam Levinson was like, yeah, like true. And it's like, I don't, I 100% I think that identity politics is an important tool in the toolbox of dissecting this movie and critically thinking about any movie but i do think that a lot of criticism that i've read um i guess mainly on letterboxd more than anything has been like i'm going to assess the skin color and gender identity of the character on screen and the person that i know to have made the film and i'm going to do a little calculation in my head on whether or not like it aligns with how woke i am <laughs> and then I'm going to accept or reject the art at that point, not after I have engaged with it. And I think that that's where I take issue with it because now I'm thinking like, okay, so are we saying that like Sam Levinson should have just cast Timothy Chalamet and Saoirse Ronan and not had anything to do with race in his movie or should he have cast them and then have race not play a part in what his story is trying to say. And I think that's like the, the question that I've been, you know, bouncing around in my head. And I guess I, I don't like that. I feel like a lot of people are rejecting it outright without engaging with it. Um, because like, I do think that the writing is hella clunky. Like I do think that it is at a lot of points Sam Levinson being mad and being kind of whiny. Um, but I also think that it makes for an interesting character in Malcolm. And I think that like, uh, I mean, I have my whole thoughts on John David Washington's acting later. Cause at first for the first like 30, 45 minutes, I was like, he's getting completely outclassed. Zendaya is just fucking, all he's doing is yelling and Zendaya is like the star of this show. Um, and then he comes back and that's that's a whole other point from what I'm trying to say. But I don't know, do you guys see what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? Um, I definitely see what you're saying. And I think to a certain degree, I thought that as well until like Sam Levinson brought it up, which like he does about every sort of <laughs> criticism that someone may have about the movie. He brings it up in the film to sort of say like, you can't say anything about this because I already pointed it out. And um, it's sort of the argument that Malcolm has where everything that he creates doesn't necessarily have to be political and about that he's black because he's a black person. 
And I definitely think that's an argument that's, you know, something that's been argued throughout the past like couple of decades or so with black art and something that some of the most important black artists have talked about. Like Toni Morrison talks about how she can't write about anything else but black people and about um, like the pain that comes with being black because that's what she's experienced. But then you have like someone like Sam Levinson where like he, he can write about a lot of other things but he chose to write about this and he chose to like put it in and put that argument in and he kind of came to a conclusion on it within the film. It's not something that's really batted around. Like Malcolm gives his opinion and then Zendaya is kind of like, okay. Well, sure. Zendaya has the like, Angela Davis wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah she um, has that line, but then later he gets more into it and he's in his uh, full like pontification after his review comes out, he's talking about like, how Barry Jenkins isn't gay and all, all that, that whole, you know, diatribe that he goes into. And it seems like Sam Levinson is like telling us like, this is okay. What I'm doing right now is okay. You should be okay yeah. with it. And I mean, there's an inherent discomfort there for sure, because I mean, this film isn't like any other like movie, I think, where like, if there was a white writer in a film that's more plot driven or more action driven, I would, I guess I would be okay with that if it has two uh, black leads, but this film is entirely dialogue and opinions about black people and like the art that they make. And it's from like a white mind, you know? So I don't know, I, I get what you're saying definitely. And I, I can see that there was collaboration there, but the fact that like their names aren't on the screenplay or anything like that. Like he, this is his thoughts on it. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I wrote the same thing as Alicia did. And it's like exactly to your point. It feels like an op-ed, like the whole time you kind of feel like you're being lectured to. And that's like, it feels like that in a lot of movies, I think, but it, in this, especially considering all the circumstances, it felt especially bad. And to what you were saying, Nadia, I mean, it's just so bizarre on top of that because it feels like it was almost pre-set up to anticipate the criticism that he felt like was going to come like i thought so much during the film of like the very last scene of joker where uh you know the joker's talking about like oh you know it's like it's just a joke and you wouldn't get it like how it's kind of set up to be anybody who criticizes this film oh you just like aren't on its level and this is almost the same thing in my mind where you know if criticisms come out against it especially from professional film critics it's almost like sam levinson could just be like oh you're exactly proving my point of what i'm trying to make in the film and that just makes me so uncomfortable past the fact that i didn't think it was very good but I don't know. I love Euphoria so much. So I'm like very kind of shaken by all well, this. I don't know what to think. Euphoria is a good point. Um, Cause it, it, like I, first of all, I didn't like, I never thought that he was setting up to like defend himself from critics. Cause Malcolm is such an asshole. And so like, I think he set himself up to say like with the, all of the the identity regarding um, Marie and the character within his within Malcolm's film, and it's like, oh, he's it's an amalgamation. It's not just you, right? Um, I think he set himself up to be like, look, this filmmaker is not just me. But at the same time, I think the film is like, no, that character like is Marie. Like that character wouldn't exist without Marie. So in some ways, I do think that it's self-aware and I think that we can say that the character of Malcolm would not exist without Sam Levinson but 
I also don't think that it's fair to completely equate the two. It doesn't feel like, I, I feel like he takes a shot at critics and I think he's fully expecting them to blow back. I don't think he's defending yeah. himself necessarily. I just think he's like sort of recklessly throwing fists out and whether or not that's like palatable, right. you know, that's a whole other well, thing. But on Euphoria, what I meant to say, like he write one of the main characters is a is a trans girl and like nobody has come out and nobody's been mad about like Sam Levinson's writing about the trans experience you know is that is that because we perceive those identities differently and like well maybe it's because the show is like about a bunch of different people and a bunch <laughs> of experiences um and this like Nadia was saying is so contained and inherently mm. So just like it's like entire essence is the the black artist experience and and that's what makes it hard like I it's interesting like I do legitimately think this film has value in the discussions it's provoking because I think a lot of my opinions are the types of things that Levinson is um kind of expressing his grievances about and um like I I think that you know while Malcolm is like spewing all these really strong feelings that Levinson clearly holds like I I can't help but feel like Marie when she fights back on them that it's not obligatory it feels just like kind of obligatory to me mm -hmm. and her acting is what makes it feel actually alive and um but then it's it's difficult because I'm like, who the fuck am I to say if he's exploiting anything or anybody because Zendaya and John David Washington are super intelligent people and artists who supposedly, yeah, collaborated in like every sense of the word in making this film. But then I'm like, oh, is that something Malcolm would say? Like, would that be his <laughs> logic here? So well, I think to both mess. of your points, I would say like, I, I do kind of agree to an extent that is a bit of a satirization of Malcolm's character, or at least criticizing his ideas and the way he, you know, views the film world and views his own art. But I'm not sure the movie itself falls out of those traps. I, I think it kind of plays into the same things that it's trying to criticize. So I think that the criticisms are valid in a lot of ways and maybe have a lot to say, but I think you could point those same criticisms right back at the movie itself and they would be pretty valid. And I'm not sure you could say that about you Euphoria, which has a lot of pretty interesting and big ideas outside of, you know, the ideas that Sam Levinson himself is projecting onto them. Yeah. And I actually, Caleb, to your, oh, sorry, this is really quick. Um, Caleb, to your point, like, I think some people were a little frustrated with his um, kind of trying to grapple with um, LGBT issues in Assassination Nation with Harry Neff's character. I'm oh, not sure if yeah. I've heard anything about Euphoria, but yeah, I do remember sorry. that being that being a controversy and i i yeah i guess i guess my argument is not so much that like sam levinson is doing the right thing and like he, that he is perfectly representing like a black character and that like everybody's wrong i'm more like glad that he gave it a shot and that this movie exists and i'm like I, like I, I want more people to to try things like that rather than stamp them out. You know, like I I don't like the idea that this movie is like with 
this movie becomes like a Timothy Chalamet, Saoirse Ronan because he has to. Like, I just, I feel like people genuinely argue that like white people shouldn't write black characters and that that they, that just doesn't sit well with me like it's like that's just further that just further divides any sort of like that's just further whitewashing hollywood you know I think this is an interesting discussion particularly because it's happening in a lot of spaces right now um like in the the publishing space a lot of white authors have been writing books with black leads so mm -hmm when consumers see two black people on the cover, they're like, oh, I want to support black literature mm -hmm. and they'll buy it. And this is something like a lot of publications have been uh, promoting books like this for Black History Month, um, but it's written by a white author. So it's like the same kind of thing happened with Malcolm and Marie. It comes out during Black History Month because it starts two black people, but mm -hmm. they look at who's behind it and it's a white creator. And I don't necessarily want to make it something where you want to pigeonhole white creators into only making things starring white people and for white people. But it's also kind of the thing where a lot of creators who have done this have said like, I didn't see a lot of representation in the field. So I thought, who better to do it than me? And it's like, <laughs> well, there are a lot of better people to do it. Like people who live this life. So like, I don't know, it kind of, I guess my fear is it takes up the space for a black creator who would want to do the same thing because True. people are like, oh, we already have that. We have an alpha number eight. It's like, well, not, yeah. you know. Well, it's also, you know, it's not like he's kind of bridging out and making like a nuanced set of black characters. Like, I mean, like I would imagine Euphoria is, I, I think that's a much more interesting character as opposed to Malcolm and Marie being like Sam Levinson, what if I were black? Which is like, I, I don't know. I, just, I, don't, I don't, know. don't see it like that. I don't see it. I mean, like... he said that, didn't he? Or not that specifically, but he said, you know, Malcolm and Marie are like kind of an amalgamation of himself. And it's based off of him, you know, not forget or him forgetting to thank his wife. Like all of this is sort of based off of his own experiences, just kind of like him, if you were a black person. And that's kind of how I felt like it was anyways. Mm. Oh. I Caleb, like I get your... Um your line of thinking there and I think like that's why I'm not sure if I like that this movie exists but like if it's gonna exist I do appreciate the conversations it's starting and like mm. I guess that yeah there's like some medium ground that we need to talk about and find where like it's encouraged to like you know have more black stories but at the same time, you know, when Marie says, you know, why, spoiler alert, why didn't you cast me? She says she feels like he took her story, her mm -hmm. life, like one of mm -hmm. her most valuable kind of vulnerable, precious things, something that's uniquely hers. And then he told it and now she feels like she can't. Mm -hmm. It feels like Levinson is doing that kind of on a more distressing level almost because he's fully aware of it, but I don't think he cares or because like he spends the whole movie trying to make his case um so yeah i i this movie wouldn't exist without zendaya hitting up sam levinson and being like i'm bored in quarantine let's do this and that's where that's when he started writing it so i i guess it's like 
you know, I'm trying to desubscribe myself from auteur theory here. And I, I don't, I think it's important to keep in mind the collaborative aspects of the film. And I like J.D. Wash and Zendaya were not like puppets, agentless puppets at his hands. And, you know, whether or not, whether or not like, I like I'm glad that people, if people saw this and are uncomfortable and write like a piece about how it made them uncomfortable, I love that. I think that's great. Like I, I'm in no way in any position to like give a stamp of approval that like, this is good. You know, this is, uh, this did right by the, by the black community, obviously that's like, uh, that's not my place to do. Um, but I, most of the criticism that I think I am like, bouncing off of was pretty just like this is written by a white dude and that's bad hello uh caleb here editing the pod currently and i wanted to sneak in something that i neglected to say on the pod which is that i don't think this is what my co-hosts are doing um i think that they are giving incredibly well thought out um criticisms of the racial identity aspects of malcolm and marie um so I just wanted to to float that out there into the world because I meant to I had the thought to say it while recording and I didn't and I regret it but I'm editing so that's uh that's the benefits of of editing the pot I can uh I can come and do these little postscripts I guess maybe I'll start doing those um all right back to the pod and I that's what I I reject, I guess, rather than like on its, which as a white dude, like I know it looks horrible for me to say, like I, I get it, but. Caleb, do you have a Malcolm and Marie in the works? Yeah. was getting real nervous about his screenplay. <laughs> no. I don't want anyone to see this. Uh, <laughs> no, I, but I, I agree I, with you where I, I also reject the idea of like saying bad because of this, you know, um, because I think in a lot of ways you want to, I don't know. I feel like this story could be told because Sam Levinson has, you know, the money and the power in order to do it because he's, you know, he can create things in quarantine that look like they're not made in quarantine. Um, But also I think I feel more comfortable with if this like was an idea that he had and a story he wanted to tell, like maybe, you know, produce it or something (laughs) or like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, being like, the sole writer uh, kind of felt, I don't know, he could promote black creators a little bit more instead of like just choosing two black actors who he like is friends with or whatever to tell this story. Um, According to uh, John David Washington, uh, a lot of the set members were black and they did a uh, like a, a profit share based on like it was like when this movie sells, we're all going to get X percentage points. And so there is that element, but I think you make a good point. Like he, he could have gotten this off the ground for sure and had his name as like creator of Euphoria um, and then handed it off to maybe a black director or a black I mean, writer. Like not to mention like, you know, both him and John David Washington's parents are like among the most True. famous people in Hollywood history. Yes. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> Um, yeah, I was gonna say, I think that the, like, central issue is not that, like, Sam Levinson is the one that 
not that he can't make a movie about black people but like the content specifically of this movie for me was like the entire thing was about authenticity right (laughs) and I think that was like where where it goes a little bit a little bit murky and a little bit wrong so yeah just like Zendaya's authenticity for the story and then that's like the central issue (laughs) that's not what he has so yeah well I think I, I guess I think he brings an authenticity any take all of the 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 racial aspects of it out of it not that you could or should ever do that (laughs) but as a like he brings the authenticity of a narcissistic clearly filmmaker writing about a narcissistic filmmaker and I think that he does that well um and I when I okay so I I Netflix partied watched this with my girlfriend she was out of town um and I like brought it up to her um like whether or not she felt that it was like authentic to the black experience and her she's so great she had she was no not interested in waiting into the discourse she said yeah sure and that's how like (laughs) that's how like she (laughs) took it um and so my main worry was actually that like she would be like this is so boring this is about film people gross Mm -hmm. um but she was like invested in the relationship and I think it's interesting that we haven't even touched on like yeah, I, I was gonna dynamics. say if we're like transitioning at all Caleb that's where I really liked the relational aspects of this movie and that's where I thought it was no no no, not like I think they have a good relationship <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I was more interested in and like yeah honestly I kind of like zoned out through a lot of the like very filmy film stuff um where I think a lot of this this discourse uh, happened so kind of like blanked out for most of that honestly <laughs> but yeah if we want to talk about the the relationship at all yeah I think that's fair like you probably can't talk about that without talking about the acting too so we'll give Caleb his uh, avenue for JD JDW uh well, he's just yelling for the first 30 minutes and you're like <laughs> Can you calm down? Stop drinking, man. Also, how much pee is it gonna be in this movie? That's There's fair. so much. There's so pee. much peeing. There's yeah. so and much. I'm, I'm sorry. I yeah. I have to talk about like the fact that like okay, you know the you you know the part when she's talking about like um when they're talking about the male gaze and blah blah blah, and he's like um oh. It, how do I know if I'm filming you with the male gaze when you're in like a white beater and panties or if that's just what you're wearing Mm. on a Friday night I'm like oh actually I think we do know because like this woman comes home from a long night in stilettos walks to the through the house to the bathroom still in the stilettos pees in the stilettos then walks to the kitchen to finally take off her shoes like you you wanted a shot of her pissing in heels and like that's not what anyone happens to be doing on a Friday night I'm sorry. in the dress she's in that fucking in the dress, dress. yes yeah like, and she just kind of pulls it up like it's like a five dollar dress or something yeah like, no it's like I'm a very expensive naked like the second I am in my house nothing yeah. is on me yep. that was the most unrealistic part you're wearing tights and only tights oh my god <laughs> I I agree though I feel like the relationship was the part of the film that I enjoyed the most and the part of the dialogue that I enjoyed the most I feel like it was the strongest part 
because it was the least um, obvious mm -hmm. <laughs> as far as the dialogue goes. It, it had a bit more nuance to it. And I feel like if the film was just about that, I don't think I would have a problem with Sam Levinson writing it. And I also think that it could have been a better film and mm. more, mm. Um, I don't know, more focused than it was. It felt, yeah. felt like he had like three or four ideas <laughs> and then just kept repeating them over and over again in a way that, again, was just exhausting to watch. It also didn't seem like it brought forth new ideas every time something was repeated. It just sort of cyclically went in the same way and it didn't trade off who won these quote-unquote arguments even though they were not arguments these were just like passed off monologues like your turn to talk for 20 minutes my turn to talk for 20 minutes yeah that was like the strange passiveness of so many of those scenes I was like oh there was just such a frustration of them like not being good fighters and like not being good like communicators at all but like not in an interesting way in a way that's like they're they're just taking turns here but also real quick just to say back to my point that I made at the beginning this is very controversial apparently but like I did not like the acting like I maybe it was just the writing but I know they were trying hard but it literally again felt like I was like sitting in the backstage with like my feeder friends that just like oh. really like to really like to go out there um I'm with you Brooke yeah I mean I thought well, Zendaya was great but I, I thought JDW I, I just don't think he's a very good actor like I, well, I don't know <laughs> I so that's what I thought on my first watch I tried to watch as much as I could before we started this pod uh today and I think he actually like plays drunk arrogant asshole pretty well and in the beginning for the first 30 minutes or whatever um and like at first I did think he was just like yelling and being one note but I the drinking is a very important part of it because he's acting drunk and getting drunker as he's getting angrier um to a point that was um mentioned earlier just generally about how maybe the relationship points worked better than any sort of why is this dude a filmmaker they should have just been like he could have just been anybody and they could have just been coming home from anything um the the scene in the bathroom in the mm -hmm. bathtub when Zendaya is has just she's just gone off on him regarding because he brought up the way that she slit her wrists and uh she's like obviously extremely hurt by that and so she comes out and she starts swinging and you're mediocre. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he comes back, it's the mediocre line. And that's that's when his character actually clicked in place with me. Because at first I was completely reading him as like a Sam Levinson stand-in. Uh, and that at that point, I was like, oh, like, I think this is Sam Levinson probably exercising his worst demons uh, and like the worst parts of him. And I think that that's sort of honest to to portray like a, obviously when you put a filmmaker like you are when you write a filmmaker people are going to say that's you you're the filmmaker <laughs> uh and so I think he was fairly aware of that to Brooke's point about acting that bathtub scene she doesn't say a word and I think she says so much <laughs> yeah. like that's to Nadia's point about like the yelling and how it's 20 minute monologues um I agree and I wish that they had more cutting back and forth However, some of those moments, some of those monologues 
are about the other person that it's being sure. said to. And I think they do some really great like face actings. And Dea's face in yeah. that tub yeah. like still stays with me. Yeah, yeah I um, oh. <laughs> I I think I've always been I don't know how I feel about Washington because in Black Klansman, which I really liked, he didn't like he didn't leave much of an imprint on me. Yeah. And with Tenet, I mean, <laughs> maybe we don't even have to <laughs> talk I'm about the protagonist. <laughs> but um, but here it's hard because yeah, like Zendaya is incredibly memorable and like does. I, I think that on paper, I don't know, her character might have looked like completely different. She she did some incredible stuff. And then with Washington, it's hard. Like, yeah, I do think he is a cartoon. Like, you know, he says, you're psychotic. And she's like, you're hyperbolic. Like, yes. So how much can he really do when he's playing a cartoon? How much can he do with the writing? Um, so I don't know who's to blame there, but at the same time, yeah, when you're talking about the face acting, Zendaya is saying so much when she's not saying anything. I think Washington is only really saying anything when he is saying something. Um, <laughs> which Isn't that is part of his character? Isn't that what? part of his character? You know, like yeah, yeah. I mean, so I could that, I could be though. swayed completely either way there. Like yeah, it's kind I, of like no. when he's not talking, I feel like he kind of just like disappears from the movie. Anyway. Sorry, Nadia, go go ahead. <laughs> no, I definitely agree almost wholeheartedly with what you're saying. And like he's the character is much more one note, so it's like kind of like what you were saying where he was screaming the whole time. I felt that way too, except near the end when he gets a little bit more emotional. Um, I feel like that's when you sort of see his acting chops a little bit more. Mm. And I feel like you can see that he really cares about the character a little bit. Again, though, I do feel like Zendaya pulls off some of the clunkier lines and clunkier monologues better than he does. It just, it feels like it gets stuck in his throat sometimes. And he's like really trying to like articulate these lines that are just so dense with mm. like yeah. metaphor and everything <laughs> and like film knowledge. Right. Um, whereas like, Zendaya's it feels a little bit more natural uh, that she would be saying these things. On his character, though, some of the criticism was that like he feel he does feel like a cartoon character, Alicia. Um, and I like thought that I agreed, and then I thought about it, and I was like, no, I I know film people. Like you know who I'm talking about, Brooke and Alicia. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, immediately reminded. Uh <laughs> Um, so th like that, those kind of people exist on the dialogue. I thought Sam Levinson said something really interesting in an interview, um, which might point to why I like it, what like this movie generally and why maybe it doesn't work with a lot of people is that he said, I'm not interested in reality. Um, he is like, yeah, like the, the do two people talk like that. I don't know. Maybe like, I thought it was like an interesting conversation to write. Like I, 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 you know, and I've always been someone who's just like not interested in realism on film. And so like that line where it's like, he does say uh, you're hyperbolic um, or you're, what is the first line, Alicia? Psychotic. Yeah, you're, you're psychotic, psychotic. Yeah. you're hyperbolic. That, that had such a, you know, quick pace back and forth in the Sorkin-y sort of yeah, right. way that you were saying. Yeah. And um, I'm like, 
I am pro dialogue that doesn't feel real because I don't watch movies for real life. But I also see why that's it's it can be very off putting to watch when you're like, it it takes you out of it rather than suck you in because it just feels so inauthentic. I listened to the same interview, the the one on the big picture. Yeah, I I just I don't know. The rest of the movie besides that just felt so like baked in realism sorry sorry brooke i didn't mean to step <laughs> on your toes just at one point i've been trying to bring up um <laughs> i think like my main issue is he's written so much like i don't understand why they are together in a way that like i need it to fit in order for me to like fully commit to the rest of the movie and i feel like he's trying to imply it like zendaya says something about this is why we're together. <laughs> yeah, very subtle, <laughs> but they're like, this is why we're together. You know, we both were there for each other and thick and thin, something of that effect. Um, and I'm like, but like, where? <laughs> like, I don't see this at all. And like, that's why it feels like the last 20 minutes is where I start to see that more. And that's mm. why I liked it. But up until that point, I'm just like, I it just that connection just wasn't there for me and I don't know if that I mean like how can that be the point when it's a film like entirely about their connection and that they're like they're like ships passing right now but it didn't feel like they were ever ships that were together (laughs) in the first part Mm. so I agree there there was like a lot more showing than telling especially in that first two act chunk and um like I wanted more of like the kind of showing that was, you know, they're arguing, screaming at each other over mac and cheese one second. And the next second he gets, the review comes in from the white lady from the LA Times. And he runs off in the other room and he's reading it. (laughs) And she just immediately, it reminded me of that part in Lady Bird where like um, they're in the Goodwill or whatever, they're in the middle of a fight and then one of them finds this dress and is like, oh my God, isn't this the most perfect thing you've ever seen? And they're like, oh my God, yes. It just, Cause that like that, the way that your relationship with co- someone can flip on a dime, your, your dynamic with them, it felt so real and um, like uh, understandable. And so I, I liked that moment with them where she runs into the other room and she's like, oh, what does it say? Like, you know, he was just, you were just talking about how he can casually call you like, these terrible things over like a spoonful of craft but um now you're you're genuinely interested in like you know finding out what this woman said about like one of his what he considers one of his greatest achievements so yeah I would have liked a lot more of understanding who they are and their relationship like outside of the stuff that they're waxing poetic about which I mean some people could say like is that should be all you need. Like everything you need to know about them is like, is expressed through that, <clears throat> that channel. But to me, it wasn't. Yeah it's, yeah. it's interesting that you say that because to me, maybe I'm just like a shitty fucking girlfriend or something, but to me, it feels more like a brother sister relationship or like mother daughter, where it's like inherently you fight all the fucking time and then you come back together. But like, if my boyfriend just said that to me, I am pissed. I am not reading the review with you. I am in the other room and we are angry for the next two hours. So yeah, I, I don't know. It wasn't there for me, but. Like we talked about the. Can... Go for it, go for it. 
I, I was just gonna say the bathtub scene should have been like the end of their relationship like <laughs> there would be no coming back from that if you know i might like uh go ahead the scissor <laughs> line should have been the la- like yeah. oh yeah the nail clippers like geez yeah. yeah but i will say i feel like there's a dependency there that justifies why they're still together because of what they have been through together like i think like you know like this is a bad argument that they're having but seems like based on what we know about their history they've been through much much worse so it's kind of like they fall back on each other in that way um but i will say i do wish we had more of those punchy moments like sorkin's been thrown around and i love sorkin's dialogue Mm. obviously but i mean this is like it's it's not quite there because there's no punchiness to it really because mm. it's just like slow motion punching <laughs> back and forth like everyone needs like a magnificent line at every point and there's not really any sort of reaction to what's being said it's like someone says something for a really long time they walk off they steam about it and then someone comes back and says something for a really long time and like to a degree that works but over and over and over again it's just it's not doing as much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I thought of Sorkin, like the thought that came to my mind was the stakes are often so high in Sorkin's movies and films where they're so, so low here. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I'm not sure that that same kind of dialogue style really works as well when it is so contained and not about, you know, the presidency or a uh, massive <laughs> trial or something of those sorts. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Cause there's like a sense that no matter what he does, that they're not going to break up <laughs> and so it's like okay what's what's the point of all this and I think you kind of get that at the very end there finally feels like there are some stakes there and she's like I just want you to say thank you and he says like thank you <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I, it kind of that's why that's why the last 20 minutes to me are what I wish the entire film could have been like and that's why I really loved those but yeah stakes are low I also think the like intended potentially failed snappy snappiness of the dialogue works better when the topic of conversation is the like kind of squishy hollywood art autor like identity politics stuff rather than their relationship stuff because like one of the things i do appreciate and think was genuinely deliberate in malcolm is that he you know, he's talking about how critics like to just hear themselves talk. Like it's bad reviews, you know, like it's kind of a a discourse that bad reviews, uh, critics love to write them because they love to hear themselves talk. Like they end up being a showcase of wit rather than any sort of thoughtful engagement with the supposedly bad film. And like, I have done this. I wrote a review for Cats and it was, I had the time of my life. Um, (laughs) But also like Malcolm is basically doing the same thing when he is like rambling on and on about like his heart on for all these different filmmakers and like Ben Hur and like it, it, he's, he's doing pretty much the same thing. And, you know, Marie is like scoffing at it very clearly Um, So I think it works there because if it doesn't feel quite up to par with Sorkin, then it makes sense. It's excusable. But um, when it comes to like their relationship, it doesn't make as much sense. Hmm. I thought that their relationship, uh, while I like hear, understand, goodbye Arjun, while I hear um, and understand the criticism and like agree in pretty much every point that y'all have said, I 
like still think that it is like a really good example of toxic love on screen and that like the person that can hurt you most is the person that you care about the most and so it'll watching it again for the second time I was really watching for those inflection points when the conversation turns from argument to like a more mellow back to argument and what exactly causes those and it's always like a little dig like the smallest dig that sets off the other person and then they'll dig just a little deeper and then the other person digs a little deeper and I, I found it to and then eventually one of them would escalate into one of those monologues that you're talking to Nadia uh, talking about Nadia but I, I think that the film was effective in really showing to me that these two like do love each other and therefore have the power to hurt each other so badly and I've said it before on this podcast that like those stories of toxic love like hit a note with me and maybe that's something I need to talk about with my therapist but in in the meantime I I like had fun watching it on screen I do think that like I feel like a lot of what we're saying can make it seem like I like hate this film and I don't necessarily hate it entirely and I do think that kind of like what you were saying it's it does a really, really good job at representing toxic relationships to a way that's almost a tad bit concerning to like, what is this based of? Like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> like they are destroying each other constantly. And then it's almost kind of, it's not really cathartic. It's really sad that they, you, yeah. you know, you find out that they're just going to be together no matter what. And it's like, you find humor in the line where it's like, oh, we're going to get divorced and get married again a bunch of times. We should just start now. But then like, as the film goes off, you're like, God, that's that's so heartbreaking that that's these two people just feel like this is the best that they can do for each other at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> speaking of like needing to talk to therapists, I feel like this film treats um, addiction in such a such a weird way. And it feels like it's clearly like at the center of this story, right? Like just from a plot point of view, it's at the center. It's kind of like an an under thread to all of this, mm. all of this stuff and a lot of these problems and definitely Marie's character. And then also their relationship, it sounds like it talks about how he found her when she was at her worst or whatever. And he, he was the one that drove her to therapy. But I felt like it didn't do a good job of depicting it mm-hmm. or like the stress. Of, this is coming from someone who I have my a very close person in my family is an alcoholic. And it oh, man, it just kind of it kind of bothered me like that, that aspect of it. And it seemed kind of like it wanted to turn her into like some tragic addict hot girl thing. And then that seems like kind of what the movie was about, but I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting that it comes from Sam Levinson who created Euphoria about Zendaya, who is like addicted to drugs. Yeah. Um, and Zendaya does a remarkable job in that show, I think, of, of portraying that. And here it's like, they said it and I was like, oh, that's so, come on, Sam, dig out of a different, you know, well here, like, <laughs> uh, she doesn't really get the get the chance to I don't know like portray that because Mm -hmm. she's like a recovered addict Mm -hmm. and so it's just like a fact that 
floats around over the film giving meaning to other things and I agree with you in that it's like not really built out well I think that's a good like criticism yeah yeah I think it goes back to like what Alicia was saying about show don't tell kind of what he was doing it felt like I missed like I missed the most important parts of this relationship and now I'm just like hearing about it afterwards and I wish I'd seen it. Like, I feel like that would make the film a lot stronger and he could still have those really strong dialogue moments mm-hmm. and those really strong arguments there. But I think it would be interesting if we got to see that. And I think it would really showcase a lot better the way that it affects their relationship today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cause like just thinking about that from, from like a plot point of view, like, okay, he fell in love with an addict, um, is that like him being weird and like liking <laughs> vulnerable women? Um, but then clearly not because he's still with her, but is well, she Zendaya, like damaged goods or whatever? Well, Zendaya does have that, I thought the the best aspect of that, like if that's going to be a part of the plot, one part that I wanted to investigate it before Zendaya said it was like, oh, wait, he's just, fuck, he's like mining her. Like she, he's just like, she's yeah. an object full of stories that he can take from and then she's like, yeah, you're mining me. Like, let's not forget why you were by my side when I relapsed and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that at those points, I think it gets interesting and has like, does what the film does well, in my opinion, which is to throw out interesting ideas to think about and whether or not like it handles them with any sort of care, I guess <laughs> that's in the eye of the beholder. But um, I liked that moment regarding the the addiction and I but I'm not sure I'm not quite sure like why that was the that was the thing that glued the rest of the plot together like Mm -hmm. yeah I really liked her knife scene or whatever what were you guys' thoughts on this because like the the scenes that stick out to me are like mac and cheese bathtub knife ending <laughs> like those are those are the ones sounds like a fun game of clue yeah. <laughs> it's f- so funny you say that because i'm pretty sure most critics had a major problem with that scene they? and but i i don't think i feel any particular way like i was trying to understand where they were coming from they like most of the people who expressed disdain over it like seem to view it as some sort of break in a a logic in the film that I don't think exists like Caleb you probably I mean I think I can tell by what you've been saying that you did listen to the film spotting episode I think that they mentioned that they had a problem with this Mm -hmm. I didn't understand why but Brooke I'd like to hear why you liked it yeah I really liked it I thought it was like one of my probably my favorite one of my favorite scenes mac and cheese being the first um but uh yeah I just thought it was so refreshing in tone and pacing that it caught me off guard in a good way and for like for just a moment I was like what what's what's happening here and then I was like oh no 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 we're good we're good (laughs) because I was like wait what the fuck um for like just a brief half second moment Um, I just loved her performance in that moment, even though it was like a little over the top or whatever. And I just loved his reaction afterwards and saying like, you did that just to show me that (laughs) like, like, you know, we have this like powerful moment. He's like, 
you did that to show me that my movie could have been better. (laughs) And now I'm realizing, I think that is, um, I like that too. And I'm realizing, I think people didn't like it because they saw through it from the beginning, which I didn't, I was like you, Mm. I didn't know what was happening. And it did feel kind of like a fun psychological thriller twist, which wasn't this originally kind of supposed to be more psychological thrillery, I think maybe i don't know if i'm making that up but i'll see what i can find what do you guys think of that scene like googling i uh i don't know i think initially i really enjoyed the scene because i felt like it was a break in pace which i really needed especially at that point uh in like the last third and i also thought it was so funny just like the way that that scene was paced and it was so dramatic. And then immediately afterwards, he screams, why didn't you do that in the audition? Like, yeah, that. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I laughed really hard at that point. I thought it was pretty funny. But I, thinking about it in relation to addiction and how addiction is used in the plot, it does kind of seem a little like hokey. Like, she's like, I'm still an addict. And it's like this, I don't know. It seemed gotcha. like addiction was kind of like thrown in there. Yeah, it was kind mm. of a gotcha moment. And then also like if she really was an addict in the way that she was for so long, would she really want to play this role? Like, I feel like that's not something that was addressed, but like when she was like, why didn't you cast me? I immediately was like, that seems like a very traumatic thing to relive mm-hmm. for like a, a very long period of time. I don't know. And huh. then she just did it for like five minutes. I don't know, it, it seemed kind of off color. I, I think mm. I didn't read it. I didn't read too much into it as like a bad way. If if we're thinking about from the character's like perspective or whatever. Um, Cause it definitely felt like she was the one that was in control there. And she was kind of using his kind of using whatever he gets from her against him. You know what I mean? Like using her story and like that fact um, in this moment where she is like fully in control and has his like full attention and like almost a little bit of fear which is like obviously manipulative on her part but I was like yeah you get him you show him <laughs> um, so yeah I didn't I didn't have too much of a problem with it addiction wise I think like plot wise in the story I don't know I'm sure it's different for like different people that have addiction but maybe like I think it could also be like refreshing to relive your story in like a non-traumatizing way you know like being able to tell your story and like not having to hide that aspect or like not having to avoid those triggers forever I don't know does it say what she was addicted to it's kind Um, of it's kind of interesting uh I don't think it says she said pills in her fake monologue but I don't um yeah uh John David Washington said something where he says like um, I want you to have a life because if you don't, you're going to latch on to mine. And then when you get upset that I don't thank you at an award ceremony, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to be high off. I think he said Vicodin maybe and, oh. and alcohol is drunk. And I don't know. Yeah. I think it was a combination of a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. She dabbles here and it there. It seemed like a bad situation all around. <laughs> it, it is interesting how like Malcolm's like flaw or Malcolm chose to make his movie without like the collaborator that would have given like authenticity uh to the project and that's like I, stuff like that is so on the nose that i can't i'm like did he miss that or is this like <laughs> no yeah i think you're right i think i think i agree with you that 
he knows this and that he doesn't care and he's just throwing it out there yeah i just i and i agree with you that that's what makes it interesting too mm. and valuable but i just can't get over how annoying yeah. <laughs> um to sure. get to that like academic part yeah. and like it is yeah he's he's it's not that he's just like telling um a story like he's not just writing about what it's like to be black it's that he's writing about how annoying it is to be sam levinson via Mm -hmm. writing what it's like to be black i don't know i think that's what it is but back to the knife scene i wonder if part of what made part of what makes it so refreshing is that like we the movie does i think a pretty good job of throwing professor kevin smith's ball of who has the power (laughs) back and forth between the characters pretty regularly (laughs) frequent listener i'm sure um (laughs) but i don't think it ever um extends past like the mental power shift in Mm -hmm. that case there's a physical one that i don't think i don't think we have that at any other point in the movie which is also i guess why it felt more thrillery and thrilling but yeah (laughs) on the note of uh oh go ahead oh i was just gonna say that's an interesting thing where like we have this characterization of like a narcissist in in john david washington in the um in like he's a narcissist he's a asshole and he's drunk but he never gets violent. Like, I don't know yeah. <laughs> what trauma from my past. I was like, oh God, like, when is it going to get violent? Um, weird that he never got violent, um, given the rest of his characterization to Alicia's point of like, no difference in physical power ball. <laughs> yeah, just kind of, I was thinking of Kevin Smith while watching this. Uh, <laughs> and I was thinking about like, why this sort of didn't necessarily work as a bottom movie for me particularly and I think it was because we don't necessarily know where we're going when we started off and they never sort of explain it and I think it's partially because we don't really go <laughs> very many places within the script we kind of sick cyclical it's kind of very cyclical in the way that it comes back to the same topics but I think if we had some sort of indication that that's what this was going to be I think I would feel much more comforted in watching it because as a viewer, I felt so much discomfort. It's like, when are we going to leave this house? And like, when is, when are things going to oh. move on for these characters? You didn't know that it was just going to be in the house the whole time? I, you know, I did kind of suspect it, mm-hmm. um, but I wish like even script wise, it went somewhere else it kind of felt like it was contained within the same argument, really. Mm, I also think I, sorry, I think I glossed over another moment that that physical power shift probably happens is when they're like kind of making out on the bed and she's on top of him and he just wants to like get busy, but she starts dredging up some shit that he thought they had moved past and she's just like not ready to drop it. Um, so that's and I think that scene was also like it was it felt more compelling inexplicably inexplicably, and now it's now I can explain it (laughs) (laughs) Caleb please talk (laughs) um okay uh I forget what I was gonna say oh on Nadia's point um 
about the argument kept circling. Um, I didn't have a problem with that because I felt like as a viewer watching it, I was like, God, if I was Zendaya, I would have, uh, I would have shot back with like, I wouldn't have let him in there. And then she's like, I'm not going to let you in there. And then I'm like, yeah. And so I like, to me, it felt very authentic, like where, and this word authentic, like I'm sick of it, especially because the film talks about it. I hate it. Um, but I, it felt very real to me when you are arguing with someone and then you walk away and then you think about what you could have said and then you bring it back. Um, and I think that it, some of the fights when they start back up again come at moments like the bed moment that you're talking about, Alicia, where like it's, it feels very real. Not only does she still have things to say, but like that's a way that she can get out of this like physical encounter they're about to have. And so it's almost like, not only is she saying it because that's how she feels, but it's also like a useful tool in that situation. Yeah, and another point to the physical, I feel like the bathtub scene is a good mm. representation of that as well, because it's like, she can't go anywhere. Like, I mean, I guess she could leave the bathtub, but he's like over top of her. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the point where he's like, uh like you're you're weak i could snap you like a twig yeah and it's like i think Oof. he's saying that metaphorically like huh, he could snap like with the snappy dialogue that's what i'm hoping for but then it, they kind of come back to it a bit where she was like oh you're just gonna break me is that what you're gonna do and i don't know that at that point i was terrified as to mm. where things were gonna go so mm. i'm not sure if anyone else saw that and was like are things gonna get violent here or that never entered my head and now I'm wondering if it's because I'm a dude and like I'm feeling bad about myself for not thinking about like how real domestic violence is because that oh. thought never even I was just like what that, that I didn't even think that it, they would get physical no Caleb it's because you're a dude I was afraid of violence from the beginning I was like <laughs> when, uh, when gonna get bad that's why I said I was surprised that there wasn't violence I'm really outing I... myself as like a terrible white guy As a white no, Caleb, I actually I don't think I didn't expect it or think about it much either because like I think I kind of appreciated first of all I appreciated um the examination of like non-physical toxicity and yeah. what that's like and how it can be like just as harmful in a different way emotional but, terrorism yeah oh, what? Doesn't, doesn't <laughs> but also like you're abusing me or, or yeah just, yeah she says you're abusing yeah. me verbally he's like what do you mean and then she's like verbal abuse and he was like an important distinction and we're like oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and I also think I just didn't expect it because I expected this to be a Mike Nichols ripoff and like just super into the talking and I expected talking and only talking <laughs> so um I think you're mm -hmm. One quick question that I was curious to ask y'all, um, especially three women in front of me. Um, <laughs> did you think that it was, uh, when when she comes out with like the changed outfit, you know, and like <laughs> tight tank, nips are showing, um, my like first thought to Aaron was like, this is like, I, I was like typing on my Netflix party, like, wow, so male gazy and 
to y'all's point about like he's trying to cover for himself they literally have that dialogue where it's like why is it oh it's more authentic if she was like topless um and i was like aaron like does this is this kind of gross to you like this is kind of gross to me and aaron was like honestly she probably just thought she looked hot and that was aaron's response what did, what were y'all's response uh to that because I, I don't know what to make of it just I mean my response was to tweet about it um don't follow <laughs> me on twitter <laughs> my response was to like Brooke's tweet yeah I what was your tweet <laughs> dang I've quit twitter. for those who don't I said uh Malcolm and Marie starring Zendaya for the first half and Zendaya's nipples for the second <laughs> half <laughs> so yeah they which doesn't really express uh an opinion either way i think yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. i'm just saying they were there they were proud because <laughs> i mean just... go ahead I, I feel like you can find a justification within the plot for like why she decided to dress like that like kind of what we were talking about earlier like her sexual power is something that she has over him so it's like she still wants him to desire him so that she can bite back with these sort of like denials of that but also that is the first thing I noticed I was like god damn they, yeah. like how cold is it in that room what the <laughs> hell is going on here <laughs> I I also that's that's another point where I'm like Zendaya produced this movie if she did not want to be out there in that top looking in that way she would not have and I'm I can say that with like 90% confidence like I don't think that the, the costume designer was twisting her arm being like this is what it must be but i mean if i look like that i wouldn't have a problem with it either <laughs> yeah. like, All right, shit, i'm ready to go <laughs> yeah i was like when when do her legs stop <laughs> but um yeah i don't i think i'm not really any particular side on this either because it is kind of like a oh, only women in movies wear this kind of thing. But then mm. like a lot of women see that in movies and that and now like they wear that to bed. And so and so like maybe Marie also got that from media. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think, yeah, she looks great, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we're getting to around an hour and 20 minutes, hour and a half. Uh, was there any final points that we wanted to make about uh, Malcolm and Marie. I I wanted to say I do really I really like Sam Levinson's gaudy style. Like that really works for me. Where like the seven minute long take at the beginning, where it's like John David Washington dancing, and then the conversation they have afterwards, and it's just going back and forth from outside the house, stuff like that. Like I know that a lot of people find it corny or like unnecessary, but I always find that to be really engaging as a viewer. Um, he has a shot in Assassination Nation that's like a um, like a home invasion scene and he shoots it very similarly where it's like outside of the house and you only get peeks through the windows as the camera like cranes around the whole house and so like I, I like Sam Levison's style here did you guys think it was over stylized because that was a, a lot of the criticism which I understand sometimes it can be too much for people when it's like look at this like style that's so in your face that it takes away from what's actually happening um if we're talking I like about, it. <laughs> if, if we're talking about like 
production design. Oh uh, yeah, Brooke, our resident yeah, production yeah, I was about designer. To say, uh, that house fucking bothered me so much. I also, I just, I'm also, you know, a bit of an interior designer, um, and I hate modern style houses with a burning passion. Mm. Like I want to die upon seeing them <laughs> like I am someone that has so many like knickknacks and things on my wall and in my bedroom that it's like probably not good um but that house just bothered me so much just like the design the layout of it like it was it was like a, it was like a maze but also <laughs> so boring and then like when we went outside I was like what are we doing like there's this big tree and like that's the one moment we're like kind of outside I don't know the, it just bothered me it, it, it felt so much more like creepy horror in its starkness that it didn't seem to fit with the vibes of like relationship turmoil <laughs> so I don't know it would have been better in like a psychological thriller to me but I just generally hate those styles of houses. I kind of liked the house. Yeah. I think it works. I think it works in the horror psychological thriller way because it's like, it's kind of showing how, like, it's putting them in a very vulnerable spot by putting them in this, like, completely transparent box for like us to study their relationship and like every little flaw under basically like a magnifying glass. So I liked that and I thought it was a really pretty house except like I it could have used more personality. But um and then the cinematography, sorry Brooke. And the <laughs> cinematography, I also liked it and the, the style in general. I liked it. The music was great. Oh, the music pretty on the nose <laughs> it's pretty on the nose and pretty in love with itself but like they were all great artists anyway mm. and um I think the only shot I really had a problem with was that one mirror one that was just super like made for the trailer where they're on the bed I'm like mm, okay but the rest of it it was cool um I loved hearing little sims in this but the lyrics of selfish I can't sleep at night I don't want to fight my best friend is I. I'm so selfish. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I also felt like the music was definitely on the nose, but I feel like Sam again. He he mentions it in the movie. He's like, oh, um, Zendaya's like, oh, you're playing this song, and that's your way of apologizing to me. Mm-hmm. And like the music is all uh, diegetic. I, I'm pretty sure, except for like the orchestral score. So like when they're playing these songs, it's within the context of the argument. So I can see why it's on the nose, but also like that still didn't, I mean, some of those lines is like, okay, like this is kind of dumb feeling, but on the note of the house, I will say I also kind of like the house just because I, I'm so sorry. I do feel like it lacks personality, but I thought I did that on purpose because like it puts them in this like discomforting space where like he talks about how all of his money bought this house. And it seems like you don't see any of like them or their relationship in this house. It just seems like it's 
kind of new and they just moved in there and it's kind mm. of alien. And so it's not really a home. Mm. It's just sort of a space where they both inhabit. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Plot clarification. I thought they were only in this house for like, like for production or like for us. Yeah, I think he said like the production company put us up in this, which I like with what you're yeah. saying, Nadia. Like it, it's like temporary. It's it's unstable or something. Yeah, because I think he mentions. I think they have a home somewhere else because he was like, I have the picture of kiki or whatever it was oh yeah in my closet Mm. and i was like all right we have a probably better decorated house there (laughs) but yeah just my my hatred of modern style houses could not i could not overlook it and i am sad for your guys's interiors (laughs) (laughs) but i also think it works well like you know how like only super rich people can have houses that have that much glass because they can only be in like super isolated areas where you own like a nice spot of land it makes sense and it also it it, like works in the isolation way and like they're in their own bubble like he especially is very much in his own bubble in terms of like perspective uh yeah sorry Caleb go ahead oh no I was just gonna say I I thought that that might be the greatest cinematic house of all time oh my god No, it's not. The house in Twilight is so much better. (laughs) 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 Brooke, couldn't you say that like the house is trying to do what the Parasite house was doing where like it's like a parody of itself? Or do you think that like the house in Parasite is pretty on its own as like an actual house and also i have not seen parasite guys i haven't seen it parasite episode (laughs) (laughs) the parasite house they built for the film like it didn't exist so i think that's a really good like comparison alicia Mm. um i have nothing to say on the house uh (laughs) what yeah alicia and nadia made every good point uh (laughs) they took it all um yeah, I think, do y'all have anything else to say about Malcolm and Marie? Just that I enjoyed talking about it a lot more than I enjoyed <laughs> watching it, uh, which makes me enjoy watching it more. So I don't know. Sure. That's, That's what true. we do the podcast with. Um, Nadia, we end every episode with talking about what we've been watching recently. Uh, what, what have you been watching recently? Anything good? I have been watching a lot of Westerns. I'm mm. in uh, the Western class that I think Caleb, you took last year, and uh, I took it too. Wait, is it with Barnard? Though? <laughs> yeah, it yeah, is yeah. with Barnard. Yes. Oh my god! Tell him I love him. And I You'll be tell me. I'll say hi. I definitely will. What <laughs> he a guy! Won't answer our emails. <laughs> no, he won't answer an email. I haven't sent him one, but tell him I love him. <laughs> well, trust me, he is so d- discombobulated. It is not <laughs> personal. <laughs> Poor yeah. guy. He's got so much going on, but. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've been watching a lot of westerns, and I it's a mixed bag for me. I think well, one <laughs> there's some you- that I really like. I I really liked. Uh, we just watched Johnny Guitar. I really mm-hmm. liked that one. Yeah, and then we watched Red River with that one, and I didn't like that one as much. So you don't like all the the like gay banter going on between <laughs> the like the shooting the gun scene. Oh yeah, that's the that only hot. parts that I that like. Was hot. <laughs> that was very hot. <laughs> Oh, literally um, miss Barnard so much. I like. I was thinking about like people that I miss from college, and he is like number one. <laughs> I was like, "What? Ouch! 
have there? I don't know. <laughs> when the semester ends, we got to have them on the pod. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I liked the Westerns class. I really liked, have you guys done uh, McCabe, McCabe and Mrs. Miller yet? Or yeah. are going to do that one? I hope you kept it because that was a good one. I'm not sure. I'll have to see. <laughs> Check your syllabus. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, Brooke, what have you been watching? What have I been watching? Okay, wait, let me get to the notes app, guys. <laughs> um, let me see here. I watched Hotel Mumbai again um, last night. Still like it. I watched Enchanted. Um, Amy Adams, wonderful. Sang along, great. Uh, what else did I watch? That might be it. I was at home this past week. I was hanging out with my parents. Didn't do too much um, movie watching. Oh, I started listening to the uh, Game of Thrones on audio, audiobook. Um, and wow, that's the content I was looking for. First book, 33 hours. So I'm like seven hours in. That is what I've been spending most of my time on. I was driving home and I was just like listening to Daenerys getting like deep dicked and it was great. I loved it. <laughs> loved it. I was Whoa. like, yes. <laughs> we I have did. our teaser. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the 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 freeze adds to the uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's me <laughs> nice alicia what have you been watching um i finally um watched the muppets i wish arjun were here because he's a muppet stan right um from 2011 and i thought it was pretty good not as good as everyone rages on about but I mean, the cast rules and like the Muppets just really rule, like undisputably. And like, I think emotionally everything was there. Like I, I teared up a bit. Um, I watched Mandy um, kind of in prep for Cage March and because it's been on my list for whatever since it came out. Um, and I honestly... I liked just the beginning where they have this really kind of tender, like cigarette smelling relationship. Like I could smell this movie. It smelled like cigs and <laughs> like a, a specific, like a citrusy Febreze or something. <laughs> and then like wood. But um, I, I liked that part a lot more. And then once the revenge stuff started happening, um, it was like, yeah, I love slow movies. This was a type of slow I didn't really like and also I kind of get what some people are saying about it being misogynistic um but it was worth it because Cage is great um I watched Brighton Beach Memoirs because my mom loves it and it's on HBO Max and I I loved it so much like um uh what's his name Jonathan Silverman isn't it uh the only thing I'd ever seen him in otherwise was Weekend at Bernie's I don't know where the hell he went I think he does like tv stuff now but um, it was just like really sweet. Um, Blythe Danner was his mom and was also great. Just a kind of, also cause my dad, like my dad is um, from a like part Irish Catholic, part Italian, uh, like family grew up in Long Island. And so this movie is about a Jewish family in New York and like, um, 
he said it like touched on a lot of things from his childhood that were interesting. I watched Reanimator, which was um, pretty good. The effects were amazing. I love practical anything, um, but I don't know. The plot left a little bit, uh, left left me wanting a little bit. Um, and then The Wind Rises last night, which was an absolute masterpiece. It's a Miyazaki that I like somehow have not gone around to despite watching his movies since I was like zero years old. <laughs> and um, it, it's just like one of the most incredible movies, like let alone animated movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And the way that it um, uses the Miyazaki kind of shades of gray perspective in the study of like an oncoming World War II uh, is like really haunting and beautiful and sad. Then 40 year old version last night before bed, um, which was so great. Oh my God, I loved it so much. Um, all the performances and all the raps and all the humor was great. I thought that the plot was like a little bit kind of, um, I don't know, beat sheet E, but mm. yeah. And then framing Britney Spears um, mm. today while I was doing work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the world is infuriating and free Britney. That's all. Yeah, I do want to watch that. Um, I had a conspiracy theory, like, I don't know if I should write about it now, but about like two months ago, based on Britney Spears' Instagram, um, that she was already dead and that people <laughs> were just recycling old photos of her uh, to keep to keep the monetary fame alive. So I'll have to see if that checks out with anything in the documentary and then maybe <laughs> alert the authorities on my own. <laughs> we, got a, we got a bit of an Avril situation. Yeah, there. I was going to say yes. it's Avril Lavigne <laughs> part two. <laughs> Um, I'll just say what I've been watching and then we'll, we'll wrap it up real quick. Um, I watched, I wanted to get in on the Sundance hype, but I only got in on the very last night. So I watched, we're all going to the world's fair, which is sort of like a quasi indie horror movie about like creepy pastas and, and like role-playing games that you do over the internet with strangers. Um, I didn't, I don't get it. I'm an old man when it comes to that, I guess. I've never been involved in any of that, but it was an interesting enough film. Um, and that's, yeah, that's where I'll say with that. Um, on my birthday, I rewatched Dazed and Confused, um, because I love it so much. I actually hadn't seen it since I watched it with you, Alicia, at the AFI theater. Um, and I watched it with my quarantine bubble and it was just glorious, just wonderful so many funny moments in that wipe that face off your head bitch come on just such a good line um trick or treat i watched um which is like a anthology horror film because i was talking gonna speak with the editor of that movie soon so i had to like get up on the note and i did and um yeah it's a wild wild movie interesting concept um parts Brian that works yes uh parts that worked for me parts that didn't but uh a worthy addition to like the sort of comedy horror halloween theme horror film um rewatched sherlock jr um with my girlfriend because she's like never seen any silent film and it was my birthday so i got to choose whatever we watched um and she said it was cute and uh i didn't want to pry any further because i was too scared <laughs> um 
because I think that's a perfect movie. Um, then I also watched the 40 year old version. Um, ver- uh, good. I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, I don't have anything more to say to that. Uh, then I watched in and of itself, which is all of y'all stop what you're doing whenever you have a free hour and a half and watch that movie. Cause it's not, it's kind of a movie. It's, it's a, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, I think we, did we text about it briefly? I was like, we should do this. And then nobody yeah. responded. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. You just, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a magic show. So it's a film stage performance of a magic show, but it's also like sort of like a, a one man like a one man show and it weaves like sort of like um stand-up elements in it too and it's just very very like made me think really deeply about myself in a in a beautiful way i think and i teared up and cried uh while watching it and um it was it was uh, it was a great watch it's on hulu i highly highly recommend it i i gave it five stars on letterboxd Wow. And then I, like a coward, I put it back to four and a half. Oh but, <laughs> you uh, saw all the other things you'd given five stars and you were like, oh shit. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, that's, like, it's, a, it's not really a movie. Should I have even rated it on Letterboxd? And then I, I outthought myself. Um, but yeah, definitely. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I feel like that's a movie that I'm gonna revisit for the next, like, once a year for the rest of my life. Because honestly, it, like, it really hit me. I googled it and it was like hard to understand what it was. And also, can I watch it with my parents? Yes, cool. definitely watch it with your parents. I think, um, <laughs> and then text me about it because I want to hear okay. uh, your thoughts on it. Oh, I just remembered like four more movies that I watched. <laughs> Ooh, look at Brooke. Okay, are you are you done, Caleb? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, oh, take it. Oh, you got it. Okay, you said parents, and then I forgot that I watched things with them. Because we had texted about, <laughs> I watched Little Miss Sunshine with my parents, and I had only seen it for the first time like, um, like five months ago. And then I had texted the group chat because my dad stopped to like get up and eat or go to the bathroom like literally every ten minutes. <laughs> and I was like, "This is a beautiful, touching film. Everyone, please." Um, but yeah. So that was a very disjointed watching experience. We watched Little Miss Sunshine, then we switched tones and did Dante's Peak, which love, love that movie, love a good disaster, love a good volcano. And then- Is that Kevin Bacon? Hmm? Is that Kevin Bacon in that movie? No, it's Pierce Brosnan Brosnan. and what is the girl's name? I do not know, but she is relatively famous as well. Um, And then, we watched A Few Good Men, which I really like A Few Good Men. So Sorkin. Are, yep, Sorkin. I love it. My parents also enjoyed it. And my dad made it through like at least 40 minutes before needing to go to the bathroom. So it was a successful night. Um, he's not incontinent or anything. He just, I don't know why. <laughs> Does <laughs> he pee as it. much as Malcolm and Marie? Yeah, like, he just pees a lot. It's a lot of pee. It was like, <laughs> like, we, I, while watching it, I was like, wow, that's a weird pee scene. Wow, that's another weird pee. Are they peeing <laughs> again? Like, <laughs> what is Levinson telling us here? Yeah, do you um, think he had the authenticity to report on that? Yeah, true. <laughs> 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 
Alrighty. Well, on that note, um, <laughs> guys, I'm I'm thinking of pissing away things. I'm thinking of <laughs> piss being pissed off at things. I'm I thinking am. of. Uh... I'm thinking of myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Goodbye.